This is Exhibiting Dread, New Gothic Fiction for the Art Industry. My name is Andy Grace Hayes, and this story is called Concrete or Cement. The gallery has a weird smell. My eyebrows are pinched together. Two sharp wrinkles in the middle of my forehead draw my eyelids closer. My face falls into a contorted mimetic arrangement and then fades until my next foot reaches the next step of the staircase. My teeth lock, stained enamel pushed into cheap amalgam silver, fitted together so the gapped, overhung and skewed teeth lose all their sensation, comparatively void against the feeling of pressurised nerves deep inside my clenching molars. My head peeks proud up over the horizon of the concrete floor, and I can see the video mounted on a plinth, playing on an old television that's raised up high above my eyeline, another step, and the tower building, the skyscraper in the gallery, lowers against my encroaching body. The achy tension careens up my thighs, pain moves through stretched muscles. Under the coarse brown hair that grows there, an elastic at the edge of its potential pulses forwards and back, daring to snap up the length of my legs. My hand on the metal rail expels all the heat in my body and feeds it into that building. The heat-conducting alloy burns red-hot upon my reaching the summit. At the top, I can't feel the pain, not when I'm stood still, and while I walk it might still mock me, the ache is far less combative. I approach the video, cautious and slow. I sneak up on it like an unsuspecting animal, a sedentary bird. The video is titled, The Other Ones Are Concrete or Cement. A caption below the medium, Betamax video cassette, and the duration, 8 hours, describes the video as postmodernist. Francis Anaheim made the work in 1991, inspired by the work of Gustave Metzger, a name I don't know. The text reads, the artwork is completed when the Betamax video cassette is no longer functioning. The video is played once per day. I stand in front of the video now that I'm finished with the small text stuck onto the white box. The television is a Sony. The letters spell out the brand name big in the middle of the plastic casing. The screen bulges out from the black, the glass warps in either direction upon peripheral inspection like a tensed white firing water droplet. I stand back and the cells of the screen fade back into the illusion of an image. There isn't any sound, only a series of deep exhalations from my nostrils. I watch the image on the screen in stubborn contentment while a recording of indecipherable writing scrawled upon a legal pad is of little interest to me, I take the opportunity to keep still. On the right side of the television, a hand writes with blue ink down the white-lined paper, margined with the date captured in the upper left-hand corner, 11.11.90. The paper is detached from the pad. It shifts under the undulating weight of the wrist, On the left side of the television is a bird's eye view of a white plastic container. Inside is an unmoving blue liquid, the water thickly opaque. I stand there a little longer. I shift softly from one foot to the other. The hand on the screen reaches the last line of the sheet. Writing appears in frantic motions, quick jerks across the paper, etched the cross lines of the lowercase letter T or F, a forceful stabbing dots an eye, and the last word is hastily underlined twice. Upon filling the sheet, the arm takes it up, snaps it over to reveal the previous side's prose, and lays the page on the water's tension. Pushed by the hand, the paper sinks through the blue where the letters bleed away. Down further, the lines turn invisible in the murk and the sheet disappears from view. 
The hand pulls itself from the water and dries itself on a white towel, stained baby blue. My head breaks the surface. Weightless short hair drains its weight in water against my face. Strewn over my black plastic goggles and curling into swirling slugs across my forehead, I think, I need to get a swim cap. I go back down, push my hair back under the water and pull myself back to air. A man in his fifties in the medium lane, in tight speedos, in leatherette skin, swims past. Pushing his feet against the wall by my hands, he cocks his legs and draws his arms into a breaststroke. He glides away from me. I reach for the silver ladders in the corner of the lane. I've heard the old man talk in the sauna before. I don't know his name. Not yet. He doesn't talk about his personal life, his home life. He talks about the other swimmers. He's terrible, he'll say, looking out from the door of the sauna at the length of the pool. She shouldn't be in the fast lane. She should be in medium. I think about the sign that suggests the slow lane for performing breaststroke. I think of what his swimmates might think if they were to see him from the smoky door of the sauna. He talks with another man, the same age, in the men's locker room. The two compare their times and laps. I keep to myself. I try not to look around. When I'm stood in the mirror, applying a chamomile moisturizer to my reddened skin, I catch sight of a naked man unaware of my reflected stance. Stood in front of him, directly, for a mirror. I wonder how long it might be until I stop coming here. I don't quite know how quick these things work. I sit on the edge of the locker room bench, one foot up on my knee and the other in a puddle of water beneath me. Water from all those men, from their wrung-out swimwear, their speedos and trunks. Water that rolls off the cliff's edge of their feet, down from their legs, that drips from the tips of their cocks. The towel rubs abrasive on my chlorine-swollen feet, never dry enough and always wet under my socks. The cotton clings an uncomfortable false start so dissimilar to the smooth entry that morning. I take my boots out from the locker behind me. My padlock code is 0177. It's the beginning of my home phone number. I think you've got some work to do on your butterfly. I look at my foot, grip the eyelets, widen the leather and force it into the boot. I look at the cut in the leather at the tip of my toe. It runs an inch down towards me, not all the way through. It scores the rubber sole, past the top stitching, and onto the leather. I don't know where it came from. The air is stifling and the lights overhead hum in the silence. The warmth from the television set conditions the atmosphere. Invisible vapours drift from vents across the plastic body. Deeper within, mechanisms heat, charge, and surge, all murmuring behind the glass. I rub the side of my leg with my hand. It doesn't do anything, like petting a dead dog. The pain will go away in time, I think. I fix my vision again, back to the transcribing hand. My mind dwells on stenographic copying, hearing while writing, simultaneous transcription. Evidence neither suggests nor denies the presence of a dictator. The video might have no sound, might have never had, or maybe it degraded years ago. The hand continues down the page, the second since I entered the room. I squint to comprehend the writing. I get nothing. I'm not even sure it's English. What would I write to a sparse audience in a gallery, illegible, destructible, and public? Fuck this fucking leg, I might start. I might empty out my mind, write a journal entry. The doctor told me it's nothing to worry about, nothing to give much more thought. I suppose it isn't serious, but it sounded serious. I'm not too comfortable with having pinched spinal nerves. Spine, that sounds fucking serious. 
What do they know? It could be anything. They've only got my word to go off of. I told them I slipped, which isn't a lie. I slipped and fell, I said. Even if I hadn't slipped, what's the difference? I landed on my ass. The surgery was strange as hell. One of these ones in a posh area that plays classic FM on the radio, and that's in a converted ground floor Parkview townhouse. I don't know how surgeries like that exist when the one I went to as a kid was an easy white brick house infected with white plastic grips and railings on every observable surface. No plush carpets, coffee tables, or classical music. We had disinfectant, linoleum, and laminate wood effect. In what must have been a study or a bedroom or something, the doctor sat me on a gurney atop a tissue and asked me what happened. I told him I slipped and fell. Despite the luxuries, the surgery still has this weird smell. My hand would have cramped by now. I don't have much tolerance for writing longhand. I write too much with unnecessary pressure. I hold the instrument against the paper and carve the writing in. The firmed pulp scars with the words embossed on the other side. Whiteouts are super common in fighter pilots, she says. Did you know that? A woman stood nearby, the only first aider in the building. The locker room was cleared. All the men had put their cocks away. I'm sat in the puddle of water where my foot once was, the rear of my trousers and underwear soaked in the men's water. The woman has medium-length blonde hair. She wears a green polo shirt with the Leisure Centre's logo on her chest. A name tag below the embroidery reads Catherine. She crouches down beside me. My back is rested against the locker room bench. It's the G-force, that's what it can do to you. The pressure, that's what they say. I contemplate what she says. I'm still dizzy. I think Michael told me that. My brother was a Navy cadet when he was young. I wonder who her brother might be now. Probably trans. I know she was once told in a workplace first aid training course, perhaps in a Hilton hotel conference room, that talking with the casualty puts them at ease. Talking might stop them losing consciousness again, I bet she thinks. Drink some water, Jordan, she says. I wince. I can't detect her tone, condescending, knowing, helpful, concealing, or commanding. I take the paper cone out of her hand, pinching the peak with my fingers. I knock the measly contents back down my throat. G-force, I say, while seemingly gasping for air. I can't remember my memories. Until now, I was nothing. I remember the pool, and I remember the man, and the butterfly stroke, and the cuts on my shoes. It can cause these pilots to white out too, like you did. I must have told her that earlier, in a semi-conscious drawl, in a more knowledgeable but less comprehensible state than I'm in now. I must have whited it out. Simon told us that you'd stood up just then and gone over. Eyes rolled back in your head, he said, and you were on the floor. Can't remember if you'd banged your head or not. You're not bleeding or anything, but we'll keep you here a little while longer until you feel ready. Catherine has a terrible bedside manner. I feel sick, but don't say so. For most people, until you feel ready, is about 15 minutes. She sits up on the bench in the locker room with a clipboard in her lap. She fills out the accident report, her pen beating on the board. I hadn't told the doctor I was self-medicating. I don't know why I didn't say it. It would have made sense. It would have made everything make sense. He could have recommended a smaller dose or something. Not that most of them know what they're talking about. I circled the monumental television, thinking, how much longer might this work exist like this? Stood up in a room somewhere, observed until death. At the end of each day, a gallery assistant employed on a freelance basis will enter the room before closing, rewind the tape, turn off the lights and lock the doors. But one day, the tape might jam. 
The plastic might disintegrate or dissolve in the air or decompose in a thousand years. The tape might fuzz, lose its colours and shapes, become pocked and washed with new ones and develop a rash on the surface of the screen. I walk back, quick, towards home, embarrassed by the entire interaction, by Catherine and Simon and that naked man, the entire event of the day. I land on my bed and sink. From behind, a man's voice calls out gently. I'm sorry, the gallery is closing in ten minutes. I turn around. He has black hair and circular acrylic glasses on, a tight-fitting beige t-shirt against his dark skin and black trousers. He doesn't say leave, but it's heavily inferred. He turns on the spot and enters another room, inspecting for more visitors. The night before, I resolved to stop taking the medication. I stand in the empty room with Francis Anaheim's vanishing words coming to an end. This has been Concrete or Cement by Andy Grace House. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.